and gentlemen, welcome to episode 18 of the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. I am your host, Chad Dedeminis, is coming at you from Buffalo, New York, and we have a great show lined up for you today. The NHL playoffs are in full go, and we have two Game 7s on tap tomorrow that we're going to talk about today. We're going to start with the Capitals and Penguin series and talk to the Hockey Writers contributing writer for the Washington Capitals, Sammy Siebler, and get her take on the Capitals making a run of this thing again when it looked so bleak. And then we're going to talk to Shane Sander, who covers the Edmonton Oilers for the Hockey Writers, and get a preview of Game 7 between Ducks and Oilers. The Oilers laid a beatdown in Game 6 after melting down in Game 5. All the pressure here is on the Ducks, who have their backs against the wall and have struggled in Game 7s over the last few years. And then finally, we'll wrap up the show talking with Peter Farrell, who covers the Nashville Predators, the one team that has advanced to the conference finals. Nashville making their first appearance after getting by Chicago and getting by the Blues most recently. So we'll talk to Peter and see how things are going with Nashville. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right into our Game 7 previews here and talk Caps and Pens Game 7. So, with me now, I have Sammy Silber, who covers the Washington Capitals for the Hockey Writers. Sammy, you're going to be a busy girl because you also cover the Oilers for a different site, so you have two Game 7s to cover here in the next 24 hours. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So let's focus on the Capitals here. Um... Honestly, I'm a little surprised that we're talking about a Game 7. You know, when we booked this conversation, I was playing, I was thinking we'd be discussing another early-round exit by the Capitals. You know, it's it's pretty impressive what they've done to get back to this point. I'll give them credit for that. But, uh, I mean, what, what do you think here? What do you, what do you think has turned things around? You know, I think that to start the series, they were slow. They weren't really prepared. Even though mentally they knew what they had to do, they weren't executing. Um, so I do think execution was a huge part of it. And I definitely think they got a little bit of a turning point when they won that one game in Pittsburgh. But bringing it back home and I think feeding off that energy and, you know, just Nicholas Backstrom's goal, I think, was really the trigger. You know, people will say, you know, some people will say that, oh, it was Crosby's injury that, you know, triggered them. Absolutely not. I think it was Nicholas Backstrom's goal in Game 5 that kind of told them that, they can step up and they can face off against this team. And that was the turning point. And I think that them finally deciding to execute, take advantage of their resources, and you know, having their top guys step up to the plate has really motivated them to take a turn here. I mean, yeah, and Crosby went down, and then they lose game four, and it's, I mean, from an outsider, you're sitting here and going, oh, gosh, same old caps. You know, they have the great record, they have the good team, but just can't get by Pittsburgh over the hump, and you got to think, I mean, they've won two in a row here. They could win three to win the series. If This has to be the time, you know, for the Capitals, not only for going forward, but I think it doesn't set up any better than right now. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, for them, I mean, obviously game seven is a must win, but for the Capitals, they cannot lose that game. And I think that, you know, they want to make a statement, but they also want to reach their goals. They've been trying to reach the, you know, Eastern Conference Finals for some time now and I think that they definitely have the chance and they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that doesn't pass them by. I mean, you could say that, I mean, looking at the shot totals, I mean, Pittsburgh is being outshot heavily by the Caps throughout the series, maybe outside of one game. Um, I mean, it this really, it's not hard to argue the Capitals have been the better team throughout. Maybe Flurry, I don't know if the word is stole, but maybe 
I guess, got the Penguins over the top. He's played a little bit better than a Holpe throughout the entire series, but it's not hard to argue that the Capitals have been the better team throughout, right? Uh, I think that you can say you can say that they've been the better team. Are they the, a good team? I don't think so. Honestly, you look at you look at their playoff experience so far. They had they greatly struggled against Toronto, which surprised me because I thought it was going to be a very you know well I knew they were in for a challenge, but you know against a young team and you're an experienced team and the defending you know top seed Presidents Trophy winners. You, you cannot spend that long struggling in that kind of series, but then you head to Pittsburgh and, you know, they're getting they're getting outplayed and the top players don't look like the top players. You have Holby who doesn't look like Holby. You have Ovechkin who doesn't look like himself either. And, you know, I think that's something to take into consideration is that, sure, you know, they may have been the better team. They're out-shooting Pittsburgh. You know, they're adding a little more to their game than Pittsburgh has. And, you know, Flurry's been great for them. But Washington has not been a good team. So has there been one player in this series, or maybe even throughout the whole playoffs for the Capitals, that's really stood out for you? I know you mentioned Backstrom's goal. You know, Ovechkin really hasn't been that great. You kind of wonder if that Kadri hit maybe is slowing him down a little bit. Holpe hasn't been great. Has there been one player in the Caps that's really stood out to you? It's hard to say because, I mean, it changes. I mean, you got, you know, Tom Wilson obviously stood out for me in the first series, but I haven't seen him, you know, he's been silent against Pittsburgh. But, you know, in this series, you have, you had Evgeny Kuznetsov kind of step up to the plate the other night. And while he hasn't been, like, a big player this playoffs, you know, that's at least something. And you think that you're at least getting a sign of light from a guy like that or a sign of light from a guy like that. But you also have, you know, Williams obviously comes in clutch. But he hasn't been, you know, in scoring, you know, scoring insanely good clutch goals. Right. You haven't really seen that. And Burkowski, um, over the past couple games, has been the one standing out to me. I mean, he's been getting to the net. He's been, you know, driving his line forward, you know, taking good care of the puck. I think that he's been one of the big players for me to watch this series but only for the past couple of games. Other than that, I hate to say it, <laughs> no one's really stood out to me. Interesting. You know, it's it's kind of, I guess it, if you look at it, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. If they get by Toronto and get by Pittsburgh and still haven't played their best hockey, I mean, I don't know, I would kind of favor them against probably the Rangers and definitely against Ottawa in the next round. So I guess it's a good thing if you look at it that way. They haven't played their best hockey, but yet they may find themselves in the conference finals still. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's a double-edged sword. Because you want the top guys to show up, but if they're winning, they're winning. So is there one thing that, you know, focusing on Game 7 on game seven tomorrow, is there is there one or two things you think are the key to the game for either the Capitals or the Penguins that'll decide? Is it Fleury against Holtby? Is, does Ovechkin just show up? Is it Ovechkin against Crosby? Whoever has a better game wins. Is there one or two things you think that, will make the difference tomorrow? Absolutely. I think that Ovech- I think that Ovechkin has been I mean it's sad to see and I you know, I actually wrote about this this past week that you look at him and there's something there that's missing. You know, there's a lack of effort, there's, you know, inconsistency, you know, a lack of drive. And I think that that's one of the things that's played Washington because, you know, like it or not, he's their captain. And while the captain doesn't need to score the most goals or have the most points on the team, you know, as we can see. But, like, the captain's got to 
got to do something, and he's got to lead his team, and you, just, you look at him in these moments, and he's very set on winning the Cup. You know, his mindset is there. He wants his Stanley Cup. He's been playing, you know, his whole life for it. But the execution is not there. The drive for him to perform is not there. He just wants to get there. And so I think tomorrow the key for him is going to be stepping up. Because Ovechkin, you know, not only is he the captain, he's the center of the entire franchise. And I think that if you have somebody who pumps up his game, you know, like Ovechkin, you know, who's a centerpiece, you know, the rest will follow in order. So I think you need right. to see effort from Ovechkin at least. As for as for everything else, I think that getting off to an early start, you know, limiting the Penguins' time, limiting their space, but which is which which is difficult because Pittsburgh is very quick. Right. You know, they're entering the zone and you know, or quick passes, all that fun stuff, fancy skating. You know, the Capitals just they need to play hockey. So Ovechkin needs to show up, and they just need to stick to the script and play hockey. So let's say Washington comes up short tomorrow. Um, yeah. What what then? Is, I mean, Ovechkin's had a bad series. Um, you look at the two guys that have been the longest. Ovechkin, Backstrom, uh, is Barry Trotz in trouble? So I guess my question, long range, I think we talked about this last time we spoke, is if they lose tomorrow, are, are there big changes on the horizon for that team? I mean, I know Oshie's a free agent. Shattenkirk's a free agent. Alsner, they're going to lose some guys to free agency. But beyond that, is if they lose, is, is there a big change coming? They, they still have a franchise. No, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, not from the coaching side. And the reason I'm going to say that Barry Trotz keeps his job is that he's he's a remarkable coach. The guy, the guy knows hockey. He's gotten his teams far. He's a great leader. And he also gets the team to buy in, which is something you haven't seen from the Capitals for, you know, years of – you know, since they've been in the NHL, you haven't seen a team buy in like this one does with Trotz. So I think that his job is safe. It's going to be changes in the locker room that you're going to see if the Cavs can't make it past the second round. And whether that means Ovechkin's gone, which could be possible. You know, people people like to say, you know, oh, they would never trade Ovechkin. He's the designer of their franchise. If they want a Stanley Cup, I mean, you look at him and, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's... You know, his numbers are going down. You know, and as much as I love him, you know, there's something's got to give. And if he's not giving his full effort, which we've definitely seen, there's going to be some questions as to why he's still here competing with this team. But you also have to look at the, you know, the situation. They're losing a ton of people in free agency, you know, and they don't have enough money to save all of them is the problem. So I think either a major trade happens to kind of shake them up, or they're just going to lose a lot of pieces and hope to gain them back. And after this, like, right now, if they want to win a Stanley Cup, the time is now. Right. Because every they have everything right now. They have the depth down the lineup. They have the players. They have Shattenkirk as the rental, which he hasn't been great, but he, get, you know, he gets the job done on the power play. He scores clutch goals. He's a playmaking defenseman. So you have that extra depth. You have the coach. You have... Ovechkin, you have your pieces, and from this point on, for Washington at least, it should be smooth sailing. So I think if they want to win, the time is now. If they lose, something's going to have to give. So do you think, I guess circle back on it before I ask you the ultimate question, the last one, do you think, you know, at the end of the day, it might come down to, 
I mean, because like I said, they're losing pieces, so if they trade one of the big guys, you can get a lot of pieces back. Do you think it could come down to Backstrom or Ovechkin? One of them's got to go? Yeah, I do. Um, it could come down to that. And if it does, I would say that the grade would be the one to go. And the reason I say that is because Backstrom, you know, he's he's underrated. But he's also among the league's leading point scorers. He's very consistent in his play. His numbers don't go down. You know, his stick handling, his speed, his effectiveness, you know, it's it's phenomenal. Ovechkin, while he has a you know great shot, like I like I said before, he just needs to put more effort into his play. He needs to stop overthinking everything. He needs to be Alex Ovechkin, and we have not seen that. So I think the real question is, you know, if one of them does go, it's Ovechkin, unfortunately. And you also look at the at their positions. You know, Backstrom's a center. And the center carries the entire line. Ovechkin used to carry his line. But, you know, now nowadays he's just a high-scoring winger. And, you know, those are pretty easy to replace if you got a good center. So that's where I think they're headed. Very, very interesting. So last question here. Who has the advantage going into Game 7? Who do you like, Capitals or Penguins? Who do you think comes out on top? That's tough. That's really tough. Um, Washington. And the reason I think Washington has is because, you know, they got that momentum in Game 5. You know, they just had an unbelievable outburst of offense in, you know, Game 6. And they have the home ice advantage. You know, they're coming at, they're coming in hot. You know, the Penguins obviously a little bit frustrated with what's going on. You know, sure, they got a couple quick goals to end the third. But, you know, other than that, they're a little, they got to be a little frustrated that, you know, they're being outscored and, the number one team is starting to look like the number one team again. So I, I like Washington's chances. Good stuff as always from Sammy Silver. You can follow her on Twitter at Sammy Silver. I recommend you do that because not only will she be all over the Capitals and Penguins, so also cover the Oilers and Ducks as well because she is editor in chief for the Oil on White. She is also the Capitals lead writer for the Hockey Raiders, NHL journalist for Fansided. And Huffington Post editor at large, Sammy is very busy, but is very good at what she does. Sammy, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it, and I don't know. I guess try to have as much fun as you can tomorrow. Oh yeah, I will. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. So we just talked about one Game 7, so now we're going to get some insight on the other Game 7 tomorrow night, the Ducks and Oilers. So I reached out to Shane Sander, who covers the Oilers for the Hockey Writers. Shane, Chad here, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, it's good to be here. So first question, uh, even if they don't go by the Ducks here, how big has the experience for the Oilers been to get this far and play these big games. Yeah, you know, who really expected the Oilers to really get this far? Like, let's face it, right? Right. Um, when we saw that first series against San Jose, I think that a lot of people didn't think that the Oilers are going to get through that series with the Sharks, you know, being the defending Western Conference champions. 
But uh, they showed a lot of character, and one thing that's kind of been the theme of the playoffs for the Oilers seems to be resilience. Anytime that you seem to knock these guys down, you know, you saw it in the first series against the Sharks. The Sharks knocked them down 7 nothing, and everyone thought that that was going to be the, the game that turned the, turned the momentum. Well, this came back and won the next one in overtime. And the same thing in this series against the Ducks. The Ducks, uh, the Ducks took it to the Oilers a couple of times here. And every time that the Oilers have been knocked down, they seem to be coming back with a big win. So has there been one thing that's really set out to you for the Oilers this far? I mean, one thing or one player? I mean, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Cam Telby. He's always been a guy that, you know, I, I think he, I think he thought he was an okay goalie. I never thought he was that great. But, I mean, he's proved me wrong, at least over the season and the playoffs so far. But maybe he's your guy. But has there been a player or a thing in particular that has stood out to you that, is maybe why Edmonton finds themselves where they are right now? Yeah, see, with Talbot, you had that deal a couple of years ago with the with the Rangers, and they gave up a, like a handful of picks, and people are like, hey, you know, that's, got a, that's a lot of picks to give up for a goaltender here. But, you know, he tried to find his wings under him last year. This year, he's kind of come out, and it's really been his coming out party, you know. He, uh, he almost beat the Grant Fear record for the most games played by a goal, by a uh, goaltender in a single season. He did beat his record in wins this year, which everyone was uh, kind of shocked about. And uh, it's been much celebrated about how he's played. Uh, you go from the start of the year to the, to the very end of the year, month by month, he hasn't really dipped off. He's been consistent throughout the entire year. Uh, I think that if you really look at it and you look at the numbers, you can kind of say that Talbot's uh, been the Oilers' MVP this year. And you can make an argument that he might have been more valuable to the Oilers than McDavid. Um, you look at the playoffs right now with where Talbot's playing, there's not a goalie in the league that's play, that's had more shots against or played more minutes than him, huh. except for I think maybe uh, Braden Holpe's got more minutes than him, but I think so only by like a handful anyways. But... Uh, you know, he's been the busiest goalie in the playoffs, and he's been there for them, right? Anytime that the Oilers need a save from Talbot throughout the year, whether it's uh, the first game of the year against Calgary or it's the last game six or game seven now that we're going into against Anaheim, you know, the Oilers now finally have a goalie that they can rely on to make saves. And when was the last time that you can actually think about the fact that they actually had one like that? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, yeah, like, what was that? Uh, like, are you really going to call uh, Nikolai Habibullin a, uh, like, a bona fide number one goaltender <laughs> when they have him? Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, Talbot's been, he's been excellent. Like I said, he's, he's surprising to me, you know, and I, you know, I'll own it here. You know, I didn't have that much faith in him, and he turned out to prove me wrong. But another guy that I want to ask you about is uh, Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, he's, he's been a monster in the series. He's owned Anaheim throughout his whole career, but. 13 points through six games. I mean, can the Ducks stop him or at this point only hope to contain him? You know, it's uh, like, where do we even start with dry saddle right now? <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the hype goes into McDavid and everyone's just centers around McDavid. Oh, this is McDavid's team. This is McDavid's team. This is McDavid's team. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the media just fixates on McDavid. But what gets lost in the whole thing is just how great of a player that Leon Dreisaitl really is. And I think the playoffs have been a great uh, great coming-out party for him. Um, 
you look at the season that he had as well, you know, he, he finished second on the team in scoring with well, like 77 points or whatever it was. And then now as the playoffs have gone on, he's, he's been the leading scorer for the Oilers. Um, you look just at the, just at the fact of this series against the Ducks, he has 21 points in 11 games against the Ducks this entire season. That's uh, NHL.com, uh, or they're, they're a little, they have a PR Twitter account. I think it was NHL uh, Public Relations. They ran a tweet uh, the other night after his uh, hat-trick game where he got like five points. Yep. And they said that the 21 points that he's had against the Ducks this year is the most that any player has had against the Ducks in one single season. Um you, you look at the fact here is they had him sitting on McDavid's line, and it was like him on McDavid's uh, right wing, and they were a fantastic duo together, right? But against the Ducks, you know, you've got to make adjustments, and McClellan made that adjustment, putting Dreisaitl on his own line, and, you know, you once again, you have people saying, you know, Dreisaitl, he's not a driver, he's not going to drive his line, and you know what? He's gone ahead and proven everyone wrong. He centered the Oilers' second line, really changed up the look, and uh, now when you really look at it, you know, I'm going to give you three players here, okay? Yeah. Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and Evgeny Malkin. Would you not agree that those are probably the three biggest stars in the playoffs right now? Definitely. Yeah. Well, Drysaddle has more goals than all three of them. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an incredible stat to kind of show you how good he's actually been this year. And, uh, you know... Let's just say if the Oilers go all the way, you know, I think you could be looking at the Oilers' consummate trophy frontrunner. So, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, that everybody says it's McDavid's team, but we're, I don't know, five or more than that, you know, almost ten minutes in here, and we haven't even mentioned McDavid's name yet. But, I mean, he's he has his points in this Ducks series, but he, I don't think he's been as electric as he was maybe in the San Jose series. But, I mean, he's... To my opinion, he's the best player in the game right now. Even with Crosby, I still think he's the best player in the game. But I mean, it goes to show though with the Oilers overall that maybe this just isn't McDavid's team. You know, there's Drysaitel, there's you know Talbot stepped up, the defense has stepped up. There's guys like Mark Letestu who has had a big playoffs. I mean, when you look at it and you take a step back, this Edmonton team is is still pretty deep. Is there holes? Sure, but I mean, there's still a pretty deep squad beyond McDavid. Yeah, and and that's the thing too is you look at it, you know, throughout the last few years, like let's go back over the last decade of like you know whatever they're gonna call it, decade of darkness or debacle or like like, ten years of therapy, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, Who have the Oilers really had? You know, like say they had their top, they've had a top line of like Hall, Nugent, Hopkins, and Everly, right? But then after that, they didn't have anyone. Right, you know, there's no secondary scoring. There's no support on the back end. They didn't have a goaltender, and now all of a sudden, you fast forward a few years, and you had Shirelli go out and move picks, move players, uh, acquire assets, and now he's gone out and he's, you know, last summer he got eaten alive for wanting to trade or trading Taylor Hall for uh, Adam Larson, and look how that's turned out. Larson the other night was. Uh, he led the Oilers in that overtime game with 42 minutes. No one even came close to him. Uh, you look at how he's been playing here, even last night or in uh, game six. There's no cleft bomb. There's no Sakara, And he's the one that's leading the minutes, right? He's the linchpin back there. Yep. And so for anyone that makes an argument that Adam Clef or uh, Adam Larson 
isn't a top pairing defenseman. You know, I beg to differ with how he's played and how he's been utilized throughout the playoffs here. You know, he's he's done what he's been required to do and what everyone kind of needed him to do. You know, sure the offensive numbers aren't there, but he's been what they've needed, right? So, you know, you go into Game Seven here. Clefbaum's coming back, and now the Oilers have two top pairing defensemen. You can even make an argument that Sakara is still, you know, he's a still he's a top four defenseman at least. You know, in some teams he'll be like a, he'll be a top pairing as well. He was the Oilers' best defenseman last year. Yep. And then you know, as much as people hate to say it, Chris Russell, he's done his <laughs> job. That's a that's a pretty good top four for the Oilers, and you know what? Like uh, as much as people say it was a bit of a ragtag group, it's kind of it's gotten the job done, and it's gotten them to Game Seven of the second round here. And then forward through, look at the look at the offensive depth now, right? You don't have just one line that's just driving the team. Uh, if you look at the series here. You know, like we always say, this is McDavid's team. He's been uh, absolutely controlled by the Ducks when you look at it, okay? Yep. If you watch McDavid on the ice, there is Hampus Lindholm is right around the corner. Andrew Cogliano is right there. Ryan Kessler is glued to his back seat. He's got players draped over him. I think the only thing that he really needs is just an actual leash to slow him down. <laughs> but uh, the Ducks have been all over him. But uh, the Oilers have been able to answer that with everyone else get it, getting onto the score sheet, everyone else contributing in ways that, uh, you know, look back a few years ago, the Oilers wouldn't have had that. Right. You know, to, to get back, I guess, to kind of wrap it up here, to get back to the series itself, you know, it's, we kind of talked about it in the beginning here when we first started. The series has been so back and forth. You know, when it seems like one team has momentum, the other snatches it back. You know, we honestly, we'd be talking about a Predators an Oilers series right now if the Oilers didn't melt down in the last three minutes of Game 5. But then they come back and they show resilience and dominate in Game 6. Anything can happen mm-hmm. in Game 7, but do you think one team has the advantage going in here? You know, I think when you look at this whole series as a quick snapshot here, okay, the Oilers went back-to-back games to start the, year, start the season, or start the series, sorry. And then after that, they trade, or the Ducks come back and now it's kind of been one of these things where, you know, this is anyone's series when you really look at it. Uh, you go through, I mean, look at, the, look at the depth of this entire series, right? There's been a different hero every game. You know, like uh, Jakob Silverberg, who some people say is going to get claimed by Vegas in the expansion draft because the Ducks aren't going to keep him. He's been an oiler killer this series. Yep. You know, him and Raquel, they've uh, they've been dominant. They have nine goals between them. And uh, and then you look at Everly and Nugent Hopkins, where you know the Oilers version of those guys, and they don't have a single they don't have a single goal in the series, right? Uh, it's one of these things where whoever shows up is gonna whoever shows up is gonna win it. And you've got to play a complete sixty minutes here, right? It's just the most cliche thing you can say, <laughs> but. You know, the Oilers are three minutes away from going up 3-1 in the series and allow the Ducks to score three goals in the final uh, in the final three minutes and then win it in overtime, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, sure, did the Oilers melt down? Or have the Ducks just been that good themselves, right? Uh, a lot of people can argue that the Ducks, uh, the Ducks should have already wrapped up this series and... Uh, you know, you look at the first couple of games of the, of the series here. The Ducks have owned like sixty-one percent of the uh, 
of the shooting of the shot total uh, in this entire series. Like Talbot's been absolutely ridiculous. If the Oilers had anyone else, I say like you know like if they had a Dubnik or if they had, uh, you know, even if they had, I'll go as bold to say this: if the Oilers had Gibson in that, yep, they would. The series would be over already. I can agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, like just look at the stats there. Like uh, this is the series is just there's so many different intangibles, there's so many different players that are going for different teams here right now. It's gonna come down to the wire. Personally, I think I have the Oilers winning Game Seven. I think that there's enough step there, and the biggest factor is that we haven't seen that dominant game in the playoffs uh, out of McDavid yet. You know, you, you've seen of Denny Malkin have like a four point night. Drysaddle's had like a multiple point night mm-hmm. you know we haven't had and even Getzfast had one for the Ducks yep. right? right so I don't think that McDavid's gonna go out on his back here without having a dominant performance and I think that game seven is gonna be the one where he really shines I like to pick when in doubt go with the best player so Shane Sander the contributing writer for the hockey writers um for the Edmonton Oilers you can follow him on Twitter at SanderTHW I recommend you doing that. He is a great writer for the Oilers and also to be able to follow him on what happens in Game 7. Shane, man, I appreciate you coming on, especially covering in a pinch here. Um, definitely got to do it again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. So, we have talked about the two Game 7s here with Shane and Sammy, but one team is already in the Conference Finals, and that team is also making their first Conference Finals appearance in franchise history. So, I brought in Peter Farrell, who covers the Nashville Predators for the Hockey Writers. Peter, Chad here, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Chad. Good to be here. So, first conference final appearance, like I said, for Nashville. What's the vibe like around the Predators? I'm assuming it's a lot of excited fans and followers for what's going on in Nashville right now. The best way I heard it put was uh, Pierre Maguire on the NBC broadcast. They asked him how loud it was, and he said it was louder than the United Center after the the (laughs) Hawks won the Cup back in 2015. So, this is after round two. And um, the fans are already so stoked that they're... They're blowing an experienced broadcaster out of the water. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to what they're going to bring out for round three. So where I want to start here is uh, with Pekka Rinne. I mean, he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have a great season. Um, you know, there's even talk that Saros maybe should start over him because Saros had a good season behind him. But Rene's had a constant type performance so far in the playoffs. I am. Um, what is there something different he's doing for the playoffs, or is this just a case of you have a hot goalie on your team and just run with it? Uh, with Rene, it's really tough to say. Uh, he's had a great career, been in the league a long time, uh, but there seems to be two distinct camps on him. Uh, one is that you know he's a borderline NHL goalie, like maybe he should be in the league, um, and the other camp is always one of the elite goalies in the NHL, and he's always at the top of the league and stats and he's had a dozen of trophy nominations and this that and the other which he has credit where credit's due but um to me he's always struck me as a very hot and cold goaltender um and this like he didn't have a, a spectacular season as he mentioned um and if you look at something like his uh high danger save percentage 
Uh, it's about 780 during the regular season, and last I checked in the playoffs, it's up around 850. Uh, so he's stopping, not only is he stopping pretty much everything that comes his way, uh, it's with a particular emphasis on the high-danger scoring chances. Obviously, the Predators have um, a really good defense score, uh, but he's just stopping uh, a lot more pucks that are actually getting through that defense score, and that's uh, that's contributed to Nashville's ability to really lock things down. Like he did a 951 for the playoffs. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And you mentioned the defense. You know, you recently wrote an article, uh, Predators' defensive dividends, and I mean, arguably, I think they have the best, at least top four defense left in the playoffs with Yossi Subban. Uh, Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm. Uh, I mean, yeah, Rene has played well, but I mean, how big has that defense been to basically sweep Chicago and shut down a high-scoring team and then get by the Blues in six? How big has that defense group been? The biggest thing I noticed in uh, in Chicago, not just with the defense, with the entire team, they seem to be playing um, in a much tighter structure. Uh, Peter Laviolette has a, has a reputation for a high-flying end-to-end coach, but um, they really seem to have a, a, yeah, a really good structure going on. Uh, when the Blackhawks were coming to the neutral zone, I noticed this with the Blues as well, um, the Predators are positioned in such a way that they have to go around, so they, they lose all their speed uh, entering the Predators zone, if they even manage to get in. And by that time, the rest of the Nashville team is back, uh, they're defending, and um, if the team does get set up, they collapse into a defensive shell uh, around Rene. It's really hard to find shooting lanes for the opposition. It's hard to get shots through. Um, and as mentioned, if, if, if shots do get through, uh, Rene is there to stop it. And then if there's a rebound, if there's an opportunity for a turnover, you have four of the best puck-moving defensemen in the NHL on one team. So, And then and Yannick Weber is not bad either. Matt Irwin's no slouch. So if that puck does come loose in the Nashville end, it's getting out of there in a hurry. I think teams learn from... Uh, Pittsburgh last year that uh, one of the, one of the the best paths to success is uh, spending as little time in your zone as possible. Right. And the Preds might be the best equipped team in the playoffs to do so. So while I'm on the defense, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna send the defense. I'm gonna go with a different topic though with that defense. Uh, we know expansions coming up here in about a month. Um, is it possible that Nashville is looking at losing one of their big four, particularly maybe Ekholm or Ellis with expansion? kind of released what they're doing yet i would imagine that if any team is gonna do the uh eight skaters of any type uh option it would be nashville um just because i believe pj zuban is the oldest member of that group and he's what 27 28 which is crazy Um, so and uh just looking up their cap friendly here they're all locked up for a a fairly long time as well and the cap friendly Uh, contracts too they're all nice cap hits Besides Subban, but yeah, the rest of them. Open Yossi's at four million. Ekholm's at three seven five. Yeah, it's 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 nuts. So for the you know, for the next two years at least, you've got this uh, defense core intact. Uh, you've got a team that's capable of making it to the third round, and who knows beyond what what's going to happen beyond. Um, so I think they really might go the the four the, sorry the eight skaters route and protect four defensemen along the way. It would make sense. So getting back to the you know, the playoffs themselves, you know it's. Nashville's been a team, you know, like like we said, this is their first conference finals appearance. Um, you know, but they have something that I think they haven't had in the past, and that's the scoring. You know, you have Johansson, you have Neal, you have Forsberg, you have Arvidsson, who's having a career year. 
Uh, I mean, has the forwards and the scoring kind of been that thing that Nashville has always been missing, and this year it's it's showing up for them, and that's one of the reasons why they are where they are? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, they, They've been kind of, the past few years, kind of steadily increasing the, the amount of goals they get throughout the season, and I think they cracked the top ten this year, or else they were... Uh, at least pretty near it. Um, but yeah, even outside of that, that first line, which just dominates Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Johansson, um, like you've got, like Colin Wilson's had a 20-goal season on his on his resume. Craig Smith, who's a healthy scratch at the moment, he's got three 20-goal seasons. Also, you got James Neal, you got Parento still in the mix. Like, these guys, even if they're, they're not necessarily putting up the numbers this year, they have the pedigree to score. And I, th- and I think you, you're right in that it used to be a worry, like, who's going to score? Um, and if it wasn't, you know, the, the, the big guy they had, or the big two guys they had, would they get any offense? And I think this year it's, you know, even if the big guys aren't on, which they usually are, uh, you still have people that are, are going to come in and, and provide secondary supportive scoring. Uh, it's really worked out for them so far. So you're you're covering Nashville, so you're in the driver's seat here. We've kind of talked about you know the two game sevens before we've had our conversation here. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about those a little bit. Um, but first, I'm going to go Anaheim and Edmonton. Um, I'm going to ask you just the same question two different ways. One, who do you think is the better matchup for Nashville? And two, who do you think wins game seven, Edmonton or Anaheim? Uh, the better matchup for Nashville, I would think it would be Anaheim. Um, just because, well, they beat him last year in seven games. Rene had, a, by and large, a very, very good series, especially in game seven um, on the road. Just I think he made like 40 saves or something like that for the right. victory. Um, the Predators are a fast team that plays in straight lines. And um, what they really exposed on the Blackhawks and the Blues uh, were those two teams who are both very good, but they um, they do lack a little bit in the speed department. They're not slow teams, but they're just slower than the Predators. And uh, like I'm looking at Nash, or sorry, at uh, Anaheim's lineup, and like Cogliano can fly, Raquel can fly, Vermette can skate a bit, Silverberg, but like the I don't know their, their forward group especially. I don't think we'll give Nashville too many problems with regards to speed. And as mentioned, if Nashville can outskate a team, they're going to be back. They're going to be in a defensive shell uh, to hopefully defend against the uh, any offensive threats. Um, in contrast, you know, Edmonton, obviously you got McDavid, but you've got so much skill throughout that, that lineup and so much speed right. um, that I think Edmonton might be the one team that can uh, keep up with Nashville in that regard. Um so combining the speed factor with, with the history of success against Anaheim, I would think that Nashville would be hoping for an Anaheim victory. Um, and in terms of who wins Game 7, well, that's too tough. that series has been so weird. <laughs> it has been. Um, like Getzlaff just ran rampant for a while, and there was that 7-1 was a seven, one blow to finish the other night. Yep. Like, is Mark Letestu going to get five points again? Probably <laughs> not. But, like, I don't think McDavid got a point in that game. Nope. So seven goals without McDavid, like you gotta be worrying on what, what's gonna happen if he is on one night. Um, and it's this is what the fourth or fifth year in a row, Anaheim's had a three two lead in a series, and they're now going back to game seven on home ice and they've lost the last few. Yep. 
Um, so I really think as much as it's been a pretty even series, I really think that the pressure's all on Anaheim, and I think Edmonton might pull it out. I can't say this. They've got no pressure. Right, I was just going to say that. I can't say disagree. It's all on... It's all on Anaheim. And then the other series, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. You know, the Capitals came back, but all the pressure is on the Caps, you know, to win that series. It means more to them than Pittsburgh who won a cup last year. So who do you like in the East, the Caps or the Penguins? Um, I like the Penguins. Um, the Caps have shown the past few seasons that they can they can lock it down and play that defensive kind of counter-punching style when they need to. The question is, can they do it when it matters the most? Um, and I really think that the Penguins, they've had a couple of games of really being stifled, and I really, I'm really i just kind of waiting for their uh, their speed and their skill to break through. Um, and just given, again, all the pressures on Washington, um, was it back in 2009, they had that Game 7 that everyone was looking forward to, it ended up being like 6-1 for the Pens. Like, they, again, they've got all the pressure on them. The, the, the Pens are, are banged up. Um, yeah, Crosby's playing. You probably shouldn't be playing. Uh, Sheary's playing. Maybe shouldn't be playing. You know, let hangs out. Um, they're dropping, dropping like flies in Pittsburgh. Uh, the past couple months, really. Right. Um, so and like yeah, they're playing their backup goalie. Flurry's been really, really good, but he's didn't play particularly well all season. So yeah, all the pressure is on the Caps. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. Seven. It's going to be dynamite. But uh, I wouldn't like to be in that Capitals dressing room. <laughs> well put. So Peter Farrell, who covers the uh, National Predators as well as the Florida Panthers for the Hockey Raiders, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Farrell underscore Peter. Uh, Peter, man, I thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck uh, following the Predators next next round. Yeah, thanks very much for, uh, for having me. It's going to be a fun time. Welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel for our final segment. So to recap, we talked with Sammy Siebler on the Capitals and Penguins Game 7 tomorrow night. And then we also talked with Shane Sander on the Oilers and Ducks Game 7 later tomorrow night. And then we wrapped it up talking with Peter Farrell on the Nashville Predators and how exciting things are in Nashville right now. Um, definitely some interesting stuff and exciting stuff happening over the next few days here. We are approaching the conference finals, one step closer to the ultimate Stanley Cup final and winner this year. So make sure you're following the Hockey Writers for all of the insight as the playoffs continue to go along, as well as all of the offseason moves that we have going as well. There was a trade today. The Dallas Stars acquired the rights to Ben Bishop for a fourth-round pick, so things are removing. Uh, I mean, Scott Darling just signed a contract, uh, I believe it was late last week, with Carolina to be the new number one goaltender there. So things are happening all around the league, not just in the playoffs, so make sure you're going to thehockeywriters.com to follow all of that. And, of course, make sure you're following the Hockey Writers on Twitter, at the Hockey Writer, and make sure you're checking out the Hockey Writers Podcast channel for excellent podcasts. You have up to, like, Beyond the Blade, the Facing Off podcast, Steel City Podcast, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Vegas Hockey Podcast, the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, and the Hockey Nuts. 
So some excellent podcasts there you can listen to. And then if you're interested in joining the team, the excellent team that is at the Hockey Raiders, we have openings for the Anaheim Ducks, Florida Panthers, Vegas Golden Knights, LA Kings, Tampa Bay Lightning, Montreal Canadiens, St. Louis Blues, Business of Hockey, Prospects, OHL, NWHL. We are looking for openings. And if you're interested in another team, just reach out and we'll see what we can do to make it fit. We're always looking to add more writers to a great team you already have there. So make sure you rate, subscribe, share on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the podcast channel for this podcast, The Hockey Writers Live. So that is it for this week for episode 18 in the books. Again, get excited. We have two Game 7s on tap tomorrow night. Big implications for the Capitals and Ducks, who both pretty much need to win. The pressure is all on them. So it should be super exciting. We'll see what kind of heroes and what kind of teams pull through through all of the madness we'll surely see tomorrow. So for Chad Tiedemannis, I am your host, and I am out of here this week. And I will talk to you next week as we get ready to talk some conference finals and more off-season moves. See you.